You may be seated. Great to see you today. Today we're actually on a new series. We're going through the book of Philippians together. And it's a letter written by Paul. It's a personal practical letter. It really deals with problems in life. But he always gives a positive view of the problems throughout this uh, letter that he wrote. The word joy, the word rejoice, the word be, be glad, those words, words like that are in the passage uh, 17 times in that letter. So that's the emphasis, joy, you know, rejoice, be glad. That's why I'm talking about the series being about how to enjoy the rest of your life. Because Philippians kind of teaches you how to enjoy life. You're supposed to, God wants you to be able to enjoy life. Some people don't feel like they enjoy life. But God wants you to. In spite of your circumstances, he wants you to be able to enjoy life. Life isn't always happy, though. But you can have a great amount of joy in this life. Paul starts off talking about people. Because if you want to have a happy life, it starts with having happy relationships. That's 80% of it. If you have good friends, if you have a good family life, good relationships, that's almost all that you need for having a happy life. There's other things that you're going to need, but that's most of it. Because if, if my relationships are bad, life really stinks. It kills my joy. If my wife and I are at each other a lot, I don't go to work that day feeling joyous. How can I? You know, it, it kills the joy. If you're having a problem with a teenage boy or girl and they're doing the wrong things and you're trying to get, it zaps your joy. Why? It's about relationships. If you have a young one that's sick, that zaps your joy. It's all about relationships. Relationships are so important to us. Peter Drucker, he's considered the father of American management. He said the number one characteristic of a good CEO is that they enjoy other people. That's a good leader. A good leader enjoys people. Someone that's a good leader is, likes people. And I think that's why they have a good, good leadership team. If you're working hard and you feel like your boss likes you, you love going to work. It's easier to give 100%. And if you feel like you're going to work and your boss is always nitpicking you and putting you down, you dread going to work. Who's going to work better? I think a group of people that feel inspired and encouraged by their boss. And I don't think a boss does that unless they love people. Kids thrive if they feel encouraged by their parents. If they feel like the CEO in the home loves them and cares for them. You want to have that type of atmosphere. Watch how the kids take off. Watch how they thrive. The question is, do I enjoy the people around me? Do I actually like the people I go to work with? Or do I endure them? I don't enjoy them, I just endure them. Do I like my family, my spouse, or do I just endure the marriage or endure the situation? In Ecclesiastes 9.9, it says, Husbands, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. God wants you to enjoy your marriage. God wants you to enjoy the people around you. He doesn't want it to be like, you know, I tolerate him. I tolerate her. I've learned to tolerate the marriage and get by. No. He wants you to enjoy one another. 
He wants it to be a blessing to your life. So what does it take to enjoy the people in your life? There's four keys that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 1 there. Number one, he says, be grateful for the good in people. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. So there's a choice involved. I have to choose to focus on the strengths to be grateful for the good because everybody could focus on the weaknesses with your spouse, with your children, with a friend. Since everybody has weaknesses, you could choose to focus on the weaknesses and be irritated by them, or you could choose to focus on their strengths and feel thankful for them. I thank my God every time I remember you, Philippians 1, 3. He's thankful for them because he's remembering the good experiences that he had with them. He's remembering the good things about the people. Now, if you read the book of Acts, it actually talks about his time when he was in the city of Philippi. What happens is Paul goes into Philippi and he starts a church. He's the one that founded the church. He's the, like, like the first pastor there. He starts it. He's raising up leaders and everything. But when you read Acts chapter 16, it actually tells you what happened there. When he's there, he gets arrested. Then they whip him. He's publicly humiliated. They throw him in prison. While he's there, there's an earthquake and everything that goes with that. They chase him out of town. And he says, when I remember that time in Philippi, those were the good old days. How could he possibly do that? Because he's chosen not to think about how the city treated him. Because it was a, at this time, you know, Christianity was against the law. He, he wasn't thinking about how the city treated him. He was thinking about how his church members treated him. So you could go on a mission trip and get treated bad. And someone could say, how was it? And you could say, it was horrible. They did this and this and this. Or you could think about the people and the church that got started and all that. And you could say, it was the most wonderful experience in my life. Well, didn't you guys have an earthquake when you were there? Yeah. I heard you were thrown in prison. Well, yeah. Didn't they beat you up and chase you out of town? Oh, yeah, yeah, that happened. How was this a great experience? Oh, you should have seen the amount of people that were coming to the Lord and how exciting it was and that church family and how it's growing. And now from that group, now this guy's the pastor now and this is happening and that's happening. Oh, when I think of Philippi, all I think of is this wonderful, wonderful stuff that's happening. It's a choice. He chose to focus on the good. There was a lot of bad stuff to focus on. I've never been on a mission trip where I got arrested. I've never been beaten. Nothing like that. He had a lot to say, I'm never going to go back to Mexico. I'm never going to go back to Brazil. You know, like if you had a bad experience where people beat you up, I'm never going to go back to Iran. I'm not, that's not what he said. He said, being beat up by the people, he said, oh, I thank my God every time I remember you. How can you remember them without thinking about what happened? It's a choice. We can choose to remember the good things. We can choose to remember the bad. So with all relationships, it's a choice. If I choose to focus on the good things about my wife, I can be happy. But if I choose to focus on all of her weaknesses, I'll be miserable. And I hope she doesn't uh, choose to focus on all mine. Isn't it funny? I want her to focus on all my strengths and say, come on, I'm only human. Accept me the way I am. But then I want to turn around and focus on all of her weaknesses. What, what is that? Talk about hypocrisy, right? Right? 
So it's a choice. I've decided to look at her strengths. She's decided to look at my strengths. That's what works. Here's lesson number one. Remember the best, forget the rest. Remember the best, forget the rest. Now, when I say forget the rest, I'm not saying deny it never happened. Like maybe it's a relationship with your parents, and you're deciding, you know what? I've decided to have a good relationship with my parents. And to do that, I've decided to remember the best and forget the rest. But I'm not saying that you deny what happened or act like everything growing up was really good. I'm not saying that. That's, that's not healthy. What I'm saying is it's what you focus on. I can focus on some things that my dad did that I think were really bad growing up. And if I focus on that, I can grow up and have resentment toward my dad. But I have another choice. He did some really good things. I can focus on the really good things that he did and put that in my focus. And when I see my dad, I love him. I give him a hug. And I choose to have a great relationship with him. But I, I'm not like blocking out or pretending like the bad things didn't happen. And in certain scenarios, I will talk about it. But for the sake of the relationship, I've chosen to kind of ignore that to focus on the good things he did because I want to have a healthy relationship with my dad and I want my kids to have a healthy relationship with the grandfather. So to do that, I choose not to focus on some things of the past. Same way with my mom. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. I hope my kids, when they grow up, they choose to focus on the good things I did and not the bad things. Have you ever, a parent, ever done something that afterwards you said, I probably handled that wrong. If you're anything like me, you could probably say, yes, I've handled that wrong. I hope my kids choose to focus on the good things I did as a dad and not the bad. Because if they do that, it's going to affect how good of a relationship I have with their wife or husband and their kids. But if my kids choose to focus on the bad, it can doom my relationship with my grandkids. It's a choice. Make a decision what you focus on. And what happens? You end up having a happier life. Because if I put all my attention on the negative things people do, I feel bitter and angry. I'm not enjoying life. If I put all my attention on the good things about my dad, the good things about my mom, the good things about my wife, the good things about my kids, I, I feel happy. You enjoy living. One thing that Paul was thankful for is the people's loyalty to him. It makes me think, we need to be very thankful for people's loyalty. Look at Philippians 1.5. You have helped me from the very first day until now. So when he started that church, they have been loyal to him all the way through the years. This is years later, and now he's in Rome. He's in prison in Rome when he writes the letter. And the people in the church in Philippi stuck with him all the way. They didn't say, he got arrested in Rome for being a Christian, and this looks bad. Let's not have anything to do with him. No, they stuck with him. Who's been loyal to you? Maybe people at work, maybe a friend, maybe your husband, maybe your wife. Have you ever treated someone like a jerk, like you, you were being the jerk, and they just kind of let it go, and they still love you and they're friendly? Isn't that great? Be thankful for people like that. A lot of people, you're like a jerk to them, and they write you off. They don't show any grace. You were having a bad day, and you, know, you might have had 100 good days. You have that bad day, and they write you off. Boom. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. That happens. 
be grateful for people that are loyal. You know, in a relationship like a marriage, you're going to have more than one bad day. Be thankful for the, that partner that sticks with you, that's been through a bankruptcy with you, and they, they haven't left you. They're, they hang in there with you, even though a lot of people would have just split. Be thankful for loyalty. There's something about that. The second thing that we noticed that Paul did is he practiced positive praying. Positive praying. In Philippians 1, 4, it says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. That's positive. He's praying with joy. Would you like for Paul to be praying for you? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul who wrote so many of these books in the Bible, that that's the guy that's praying for you? You think, wow. You know, I, I have an idea that if he's praying for me, uh, maybe what I'm going to say is probably false, but it's the way I would feel. If Paul's praying for me, I think God's going to listen to him. What I'm saying by false is you don't have to be the spiritual giant for God to listen to you. But even though I know biblically what I'm saying is wrong, but I feel like if Paul's praying for me, God's listening more. I feel like if St. Peter's praying for me, God is listening to me more. I mean, I just feel that way. I know the Bible says he listens to us all, but I feel that way. So can you imagine these people when Paul is praying for them? They must feel pretty encouraged. I would. Man, Paul's praying for me. That's a big deal. It's like uh, in the past when Billy Graham used to do those crusades and 100,000 people would show up to a city to hear him preach. And if he was praying for you every day, you think, this guy that has 100,000 people coming to hear him speak from city to city to city, he's praying for me? I would feel kind of like, wow, wowed by that. Here's a lesson. The quickest way to change a relationship from bad to good is to start thanking God in prayer for people. Thank God in prayer for people. First of all, that changes me. Because if it's somebody that's irritating me or somebody that I have a bad relationship with or my wife and I have an argument and we're kind of like on bad terms, if I'm praying blessings over her life, it changes my heart. It does. It's hard to be angry at somebody while you're praying for God to bless them. It's hard to hold a grudge while you're praying for God to bless them. It softens you. It changes me. Sometimes when you pray for somebody, let's say there's somebody at work who really has been bad to you, and you're angry with them and stuff, but you start praying blessings on their life, it might not change them, but it will change you. It's probably going to change your attitude toward them because it's hard to be really angry with someone while you're praying blessings onto their life. And what's probably going to happen is it's going to change you. So because you're praying for them, you're going to be nice to them even though they're not nice to you, and that might change them. Sometimes we say it's impossible to change other people, but when you change the way that you respond to other people, it usually does change them because they're used to it being this. They're used to treating you bad and seeing how you react, and it's a pattern. And now that you're reacting differently, they respond differently. So don't think that prayer won't change them as well. God will do something supernatural in them. God will change your attitude. Your attitude will be different toward them, and that's going to affect them as well. Positive praying is way more important than positive thinking. Okay, because people may resist my advice. They may spurn my appeal. They may reject a suggestion I'm giving them. They might not listen to my help, but they can't stop my prayer 
from getting in there. That's the greatest thing about prayer. And we as believers say we believe in the power of prayer. And there's some governments that have outlawed Christianity, like, say, like North Korea, for example. And we think, well, what can we do for those poor people? They won't let us in. They'll never let me walk in with the Bible in North Korea. They're, they're not going to let me bring in the Bible and, and let me go to the town square and let, start preaching. That they will not allow that to happen. No way. But can they stop my prayers from coming in? No. For a Christian, when they, outlaw, when they say Christians aren't allowed to go in here and no Bibles and stuff like that, that shouldn't make us ever feel like, what are we going to do? There's no hope for North Korea. No. That's the last thing we think. You know why? We believe in prayer. So we pray for the people. How can they stop our prayers? Can the government stop me from coming in through those doors? Yes. Can they stop a Bible from getting through those doors? Yes. Can they stop our prayers from getting to those people? No. They can't. So we pray. And if we, the people of faith that we claim we are, man, we, would be, we should be praying for them every day. Because we, we say we believe in the power of God. Let's pray. I find this interesting. In China... When they first went communist, they outlawed Christianity there. And at the time, it was 75,000 Christians in the whole country at that time. Very few. When they outlawed it, and there was nothing that we could do but pray, that's when they took off. They grew from 75,000 to 70 million Christians when it became against the law. Is that weird? 70 million Christians. And it was all undergrounds, house churches, people meeting in small groups and then spreading out and starting small groups. Start. I don't know if there's 70 million Christians in America, but there's 70 million in, in China. And I would bet the 70 million in China on average are way more committed than maybe the 70 million that we have in our country. And here's why. If you're in a country where it's against the law to have these private church meetings... It, where it's against the law to do these type of things, and you're doing it anyway, you're probably pretty committed. If it became against the law here, maybe our 70 million would turn into 20 million. Maybe 50 million would run away. Oh, I don't want to get in trouble for it. I might lose my job. So the power of prayer, I think we underestimate what God can do. Sometimes we think, okay, I want to pray for people, but how do I pray for them? What do I say? In Philippians 1, 9, and 11, through 11, I mean, it says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's four things that Paul prayed for here. I want to pray for people, but what do I pray for? Like, what do I say? Well, one of the things is pray that they will grow in love because Philippians 1.9 said, abound in love overflow with love. So pray that they will grow in love. So you want to pray for somebody, pray that their love will increase. Don't just pray, God, I bless their life. How will you know if God answered that prayer? How do you know? Well, I pray God bless their life. Well, what is that? They're making more money. Is that a blessing or is that a curse? Could be a curse, right? Do some people get a job where they're making so much money, but it takes so much time that their marriage is falling apart? That could be a curse. Right? But you want to see if their life is blessed? Are they more loving? Now you can tell. 
You can judge, like, wow, they're treating people a lot more loving. It's something you can see. You want to pray the type of thing so you can see if it's happening. Look at this one. Pray that they make wise choices because the verse said discern what is best. So you're praying for that teenage son of yours, for example, and you're thinking, uh, wow, just, Lord, help them to make wise decisions because the situation is such that maybe they moved out or whatever, and you're trying to, and then you look at their life. You can tell if God's answering your prayers. You can't just say, bless the kid and take care of him. What does that mean? How do you know if they're blessed? But you can tell if they start making wise choices. So you say, well, God's answering those prayers. The next one, pray that they would do the right thing. They might be making wise choices with their life, but now you're praying that they will live a moral life, that they'll do the right thing because it said that they'd be pure and blameless. You can tell. Maybe they had a bad habit, and just out of the blue they said to you, like you're praying, help them to do the right thing. And then just out of the blue they tell you, you know, I know you've been trying to talk to me, Dad, and I just wouldn't listen to you, but I want you to know I decided to go to AA. I think I'm... I, I knew that I've been trained because they, he's going with the wrong crowd. He's drinking all the time. And now he sees it on his own, he's going to AA. You know, it's the answer to your prayer because you're specifically praying for these type of changes. Or pray that they will live for God's glory. He might be going to AA or changing his life or this and that, but it doesn't mean he's living for God yet. But you can see him. Like, on his own, he starts going back to church. Whoa. That's a sign that they're usually trying to seek God. You know, the fruit of righteousness is what it said. So pray for things like their love to increase, wisdom, doing the right things, living for God, and you can see if it's happening. But if you're praying vague things, you won't know if God answers your prayers or not. I think you'll be surprised at how God answers your prayers. You'll be surprised. If you really pray specific, you'll see what God does. And it will build your faith. Number three, be patient with their progress. Paul wasn't someone that just looked at their past and said, remember in the days you used to do this and you used to do that? Because you can look at someone's past and you can point out a lot of weaknesses. But that's not how Paul approached people. He looked at their potential. He didn't see them even for where they were, but where they could be. What a great way to train kids. You look at their potential and you speak that to them. You treat them in that way where you believe that they can be. So they feel encouraged. They feel inspired. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this. So he's confident that he, meaning God, who began a good work in you, will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's saying what God started in you when you opened up to him, he's going to continue and help you to grow and develop and mature. So that's a faith statement because what it's about is he, he hasn't seen it happen yet, but he believes you're going to grow because of God. I haven't seen it happen yet, but I believe you're going to develop because of God because I believe that what God started in you, he's not going to stop. He's already started, so it's not over. He's going to keep developing and it's going to keep growing. You can't say that unless you're a man of faith. See, we know that a lot of people start things that they don't finish. Somebody starts a symphony but never finishes it. A building, but they never finish it. They start writing a book, but they never finish it. A movie script, but they never finish it. Some sort of project, but they never finish it. But he's saying, my faith isn't in you. He's not saying this. What you have started by putting your faith in Jesus, by, by starting that direction, you're going to finish. 
He didn't say that. You know why? He knows that you're like me. You're like me. How many things do you start and never finish? He knows. He has as little faith in you as I have in me. You know what I mean? Come on. What I start, I might finish. Have you ever tried to start a diet? <laughs> Did you finish it? Have you ever tried to start like running every day? I've started a lot of things. Have you ever started a workout routine? All these things I'm saying are things I'm not doing right now, but I've started several times in my life, right? I know who I am. So my faith better be in him. It's what he starts. He's going to finish. So he's saying, what well, God has started in your life spiritually, he's going to finish. He's going to keep working it out. You're going to keep growing. So your faith is in him and not in yourself. Here's lesson number three. God is not finished with people. God's not finished. So I need to be patient with my wife and say, you know, I'm not going to push her and, or don't push your husband. You know what happens when you try to push somebody spiritually? What usually happens is they put their feet down and they become like a mule, stubborn. Like, you know why people do this? There's a good reason why. Because what they're saying is, why can't you just accept me the way I am? I try to love you just the way you are. Why can't you just, what are people dying for? I want somebody to love me. I want somebody to love me. What are you communicating when you're pushing them to grow? Whether you know it or not, you're communicating that they're not good enough, that you don't love them. You said, no, no, no. You don't understand, Jimmy. I'm pushing them because I love them. I know that. But that's not what's being communicated. What's being communicated is the opposite of what you're trying to do. By pushing them, they feel like, why can't you accept me the way I am? Why can't anybody just love me for who I am? It's the wrong approach to push, to pull, to drag along. What you want to do is love them exactly where they are, exactly how they are, Enjoy that person, that friendship, and everything exactly like they are. And in a positive atmosphere, just encourage them. Just encourage them. Because here's what happens. Here's what a person feels like. Let's say the spouse is complaining about this, complaining about that, and just nagging, nagging. So then, okay, I'm going to do it. So you start doing it. And now they add a new thing to nag about. Then you do it. And then finally the person comes to the conclusion is, they're unpleasable. They're unpleasable. It doesn't matter what I do, how hard I try, they're going to find something new. They're just unpleasable. Can't do that to people. Guaranteed failure in relationships. Guaranteed. Does not work. Even when the person complying and complying and complying, it's like the, the teapot boiling, boiling, and it's about to go, and they're going to get mad eventually. And you're going to wonder like, why does this person not want to be with me anymore? I thought they loved me, but they were under your thumb. Don't do that to people. They're an adult. Treat them like an adult. So what do you do? You love them exactly how they are. Just love them. Just love them. Don't try to change them. Just love them. But encourage them. Encourage them for development. Encourage them for change. But realize it's a process. It's a process. And don't you want God and people to love you for who you are? Yeah. But it's a process, and they'll get there. You'd be surprised. People actually do want to develop. People actually do want to grow. But they might not go as fast as you're going. You might have been a Christian longer, and they're just newer to it. 
Let them go at their pace. They'll get there. But people grow in a loving environment. People grow when they feel accepted. People grow in an environment where they feel grace. And you'll be surprised. People do want to grow. They want to. Here's John 1.12. It says, To them he gave the power to become the sons of God. What happens is we see this, and we say, well, we have the power to become the son of God, but we forget that there's a process. When I say sons of God, what it means is through spiritual growth and development, you can become more and more and more like Jesus. That's what it's saying. More and more and more like Jesus. But does that happen overnight? Has anybody gotten all the way yet? No. But it's a process. So let them go there. Circle that word confident because it says being confident of this, that he who began a good work and you were carried on to completion. Your confidence isn't in, like say, if you're in a relationship with me, you don't have confidence in me being good enough to grow and get to where I need to be. If you do, you miss that. Okay. But also, I hope you don't have confidence in you being good enough that your purpose in life is to make me into your image. Like, I don't have confidence in him, but I have confidence in me, and I'm going to push him there and push him there. No, will not work. We'll end up ruining the relationship. The confidence is in God completing it. So I'm there to encourage you. I'm there to love you. I'm there to help you. But I've got to rely on God to get you there. God has enough strength to help me to grow in spite of myself. I'm pushing and resisting sometimes. But in spite of myself, I grow a little bit. In spite of myself, I develop character better. Sometimes he lets me learn from somebody's life and I take a step forward. Sometimes I have to learn from my own mistake and I take things. But God's doing it. And when you guys encourage me, it makes me want to go. If you guys pressure me, it makes me want to resist. Everybody's that way. Believe me, if the pastor in the church is that way, I assume your husband and wife is too. Because if you think, who is the person that you would think would be the best example of someone that really wants to go for God? Well, I would hope that a pastor would at least be one of those examples, right? So if the pastor, when you try to pressure him, he's going to resist. I have a feeling everybody's going to resist that. Encouragement. That's what works. That's why it's a mistake when a parent tries to force their kids to go for God. You don't force them. You encourage them and love them. Encourage them and love them. Number four, love people from the heart. If people are not on my heart, they're on my nerves. Have you noticed that? <laughs> if your kids are not on your heart, they're on your nerves. And that's happened to me. They're not on my heart. They're on my nerves right now. If your husband or wife isn't on your heart, they're on your nerves. If that friend at work isn't on your heart, they're on your nerves. The reason why I think some marriages are having struggles is we've lost the heart, you know, so they get on our nerves. Sometimes it's because, like, okay, what is she depressed about this time? Like, when does this ever stop? Hey, every personality has certain ways. Some people are going to struggle with worry the rest of their life, and you just have to choose that. You said, that's who I married, and I've chosen to love her. Because with every negative, there's a positive you know, in personality types. He gets angry about, he's by nature always going to get angry. Just love him that way. Just to say, wow, he's a real man or something. But choose to love him. That's just how guys are sometimes. 
I could hate him for it, or I could just choose to say, eh. it comes with the package. I married a man. That's okay. Men tend to just sometimes get angry easier than what I would think. Like, why would he be angry about that? It's stupid. Don't worry about it. Just let him be a man. People are different. Some people get depressed easier and things. And what you want to do is love them from your heart to say, I'm not someone that ever gets depressed. So I can be irritated like, oh, how can I put up with this? Or I can just love them for them being them. Hopefully they'll love me for me being me. You tend to marry an opposite. So that their weaknesses tend to be your strengths, which makes it so hard to believe that they would be weak like that in that area. But they feel the, way, the same way with you. And we tend to excuse ourselves and accuse others. Like I said earlier, gee, I'm only human. Accept me the way I am. But we'll turn around and accuse them. Like, how could you do such a thing? Because it's something different than what we do. Everybody has weaknesses. Choose to just encourage them. This is the eighth time she said that she's depressed this day. Then give her the eighth hug. Just give her the eighth hug. You know what I mean? Just encourage one another. No one's going to be st- stuck in there forever. But encourage them. Heart love begins with understanding. Try to understand what the person's going through. Like when you have that jerk at, uh, at work that just like, you know, the way he acts and you can't stand him and nobody wants to be his friend. Do you know what I think the example of a Christian is? Is to invite that guy out to lunch. Hey, let's go to lunch. Nobody else wants to be his friend. Let's spend some time with him. Find out where he's coming from. You might be surprised at their lifestyle. You might, after you spend time with them, you might think, after you, after you get to know their life, you might be surprised, like, wow, they've come a long way. Everybody else sees them as they've got a long way to go, which they do. But you see them as, wow, they've come a long way. I don't know if I would have come that long in that type of time. There's something about reaching out to those people. And I really do believe, not knowing a thing about this guy, I really do believe, you know, I don't know the circumstances, but I just kind of believe if people would have reached out to that guy, the crazy guy that shot everybody, if people were reaching out to him and loving him, because I know he's an outsider when it came to relationships, and just being friend, hey, take him out to lunch and stuff, do the opposite of what you want to do with someone like that, you might be surprised. It might have been totally different. But by nature, when we see somebody rude to everybody, because that's how people described him, as he's just a really rude guy that nobody wants to be with. By nature, when I see somebody that's rude like that, I don't want to hang out with them. I don't want to invite them to lunch. And what that does is it isolates them from society, and they get more bitter. Maybe a Christian love could have reached him. I don't know. But I know Christian love reaches hearts, and it changes lives. It changed my life. It's changed your life. In Philippians 1, 7, and 8, it talks about those unlovable people. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I think he's emphasizing all of you for a reason. Because do you think in a church you get along with everybody? No. Everybody in this room has somebody in this room that your personalities would just naturally clash. There's, everybody in this room has other people in the room that you just naturally gravitate to. It's just being human. So he's saying something. But I feel this way about all of you. What made him different than the rest of us? Because we know the truth. You can't just connect with everybody. It just doesn't work that way. 
He did it with the affection of Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying it's because of God in him. Because sometimes human love runs dry. And sometimes the only way we have enough strength to love somebody is God in our heart. If it wasn't for God in my heart, I don't know how I could have been nice to that person. When you read things about turning the other cheek and stuff like that, if it wasn't for God in my heart, how could I have done that? Because everything in me wanted to punch him back. It's the affection of Christ Jesus in his life. Circle that word affection and underline Christ Jesus because it's not natural to love some people. It's not. If you think it's natural to love everybody, there's some people I need to introduce you to. Okay? It's not natural to love everybody. It's supernatural to love everybody, which means I need God. I can't love them without God. It's without God, how would I even care about them? Because they're rude. They're this or that. Look at Romans 5.5. 5. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the means of the Holy Spirit, who is God's gift to us. God poured out his love into our heart through the means of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's God's spirit in my heart that makes me love people. If you say, I don't love people, you have reason to ask yourself, do I have God's spirit in my heart? Which means what you're saying is, am I really a follower of the Lord? Because the Bible says when you follow the Lord, his spirit comes inside you. And if you say, well, I don't love people, well, then you have good reason to ask yourself, am I really a follower of the Lord? What shows God in your life isn't the way you love good people that are around you. What shows God's love in your life is how you treat the bad people around you. That's what shows love. The people that have needs. The people that are rude. When you can love them. I'm not saying that you like what they do. You, you know what I mean? I can fully see somebody not like a thing they do and still love them and have compassion for them. That's the evidence that you know that like, God's alive in me. Because I actually care about people even though some of these people are, are pretty bad and I've chosen to love them God's changed my heart because it's not something I would naturally do it's supernatural it's only God that changes your heart and mind to a point that you would be loving towards somebody that isn't lovable so lesson four the secret of enjoying the people in my life is to be filled with God's love to be filled with God's love if it's not God in me, I, I just can't do it. I'm not that good of a person. I think I'm a pretty good person. I really do. I think I'm a pretty good person, but I'm not that good. I'm not good enough to love those guys. I can only do it because of God. Because God in me, okay, now I can. God loves me. God accepts me. I can love them and accept them. I can try to understand them and disagree with what they do at the same time. Who do you need to be thankful for? Are there people that you've taken for granted Maybe you need to write them a thank you note or buy them flowers or take them out to dinner. But who are the people that have been loyal to you and you just need to be thankful to them? Are you praying for those people around you? Maybe the reason why you're not enjoying your relationships is you're not praying for your kids. You're not praying for your spouse. You're not praying for that friend that you were so close to and you went your separate ways. Stop praying for them. Maybe you come back together. You know, pray for them. Who do you need to be patient with? Maybe somebody at work or your kids or your husband or your wife. And we look at how far they have to go. We, keep, we stop looking at how far they've come. Maybe you just have to be patient. If you can learn patience, you can be loving and you can enjoy 
your relationships? Who do you need to start loving from your heart? From your heart. God wants you to enjoy life. It starts by enjoying people. God wants you to enjoy your marriage, enjoy your relationship with your kids, enjoy your relationship with your friends and your parents. He wants you to even be able to like people that are unlikable, to find some of the good in them that you can like. I'm telling you, that's like I said, 80% of having happiness in life is having healthy relationships. If you have that, you can, you'll be happy. You can have joy. You can have a good time in life. But if you don't have good relationships, it's going to mess you up. And I can't say, Lord, they do this, they do that, they do this. It's my responsibility to take steps I need to take to have good relationships. I can't blame everybody else. I've got to step in and go for it. Paul started this church. He was the founding pastor of Philippi. He had these people in his heart, enjoying them, enjoying other people. The biblical word or Christian word for that is fellowship. So he had good fellowship with one another. We want healthier relationships. With that, let's pray. Dear Lord, help us to be grateful for the people in our life, to remember the best and forget the rest, to practice positive praying for those in our life, to be patient with their progress because we know that you're still working with them. Lord, help us to love people from the heart. Lord, we know we can't do this if we're not filled with your love, so we need you in our life. And Lord, we're making a promise to you. We're dedicating our lives to you. We're asking you to change us from the inside out. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.